0: Biblical doctrine uh, should always lead to practice because that's what leads to life transformation. So when you study uh, Bible doctrines, like the doctrine of Jesus, the doctrine of sin, etc., those doctrines should lead to some kind of life transformation so that you grow up in the faith. Uh, as I've told you before, Paul's books are structured like this. First uh, Thessalonians is no uh, exception. Uh, he talks about doctrine first. Uh, And then he then moves into, what do you do with the doctrine? And so as we saw uh, several months ago when we were in chapter 4, verses 13 to 18, uh, Paul spoke about the doctrine of uh, the the rapture of the church. Uh, And we also developed that further by looking at the rapture of the church uh, that can occur imminently. Nothing, somebody asked me this week, is there anything that needs to happen before Christ returns? The answer is no, not one thing. His return is imminent. Uh, And when he returns, as we talked about several months ago, when he returns for his church and removes us before the tribulation begins, he judges us. Uh, uh, Not for heaven or hell, but uh, how well did you serve me while you were on the planet? Uh, And that was 1 Corinthians 3. We looked at that in detail, the rewards of Christians. So in light of the fact that one day you're going to have to give account to Christ face-to-face, I will not be there to kind of coach along or cover your tracks and or anything like that. Neither will I'll be on my own. Uh, Jesus, one-on-one, uh, He's looking into your life. How, how well and hard did you serve me? Uh, that's highly motivational. Uh, and that's doctrine. That's eschatology. study that the end times. So when we have got to the end of this book, uh, some people thought we would just rush through these final things at the end of the book, and uh, no. Uh, because they're too important. Paul gives a whole bunch of commands here to apply in light of the fact that you're going to stand before Christ one day. He wants to get you prepared. I want to get you prepared. I want to be prepared for that day. And so this leads to the question that we developed a couple of weeks ago. Uh, how should we live in light of Christ's return? That is the, the question. How should a Christian live? Um, verses 12 to 13, he said, first of all, let me explain to you your duty toward your leaders, your spiritual leaders at the church. Uh, and so Paul talks about uh, what the end times will be like in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 to 9. And basically the world... Uh, doesn't move uh, progressively to greater things, it digresses to greater evil things. Um, and like somebody told me before church this morning, there's, there's not like a week goes by that you don't read the news and you're shocked by what you read. It's just unbelievable. What new evil can they think of? And so when you think about what's prophesied to happen before the Lord returns, uh, that, that chaos that it occurs in, in the world can seep into the church And so it's important to follow the leadership of the church who are defending you against evil, holding people in check regarding sin, teaching sound doctrine, all the things that they do. uh, Hold that unity of the church together uh, so that we can be the light to the world about us. Uh, Nothing worse than a church fighting among itself. It's it's terrible. It's a terrible witness. Um, And so Paul uh, first lays out, in the light of the Lord's coming, how should we live? Well, toward our leaders, we should follow church leadership as long as they're not doing something unethical, uh, immoral, he says, give them your allegiance and follow them. Number two, what is your duty toward a follower, a follower of Christ? Uh, verses 14 to 15, he's going to delve into that. So, uh, he's going to present um, six commands. and They are present tense commands in the Greek text, which is the text of the New Testament. And because they're present tense commands, it means it's an ongoing activity or responsibility of each Christian. And uh, because they're commands, they're not suggestions. You can't look at these six and go, well, I like those two, but those uh, I don't like those. Uh, they're all for you. They're all for me. So what's the first one? Well, uh, Look what he says in verse 14. We urge you, brethren, uh, admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with all men. Now, we are going to spend more of our time on the first one Uh because this is a huge threat to the church, and then delve into the other ones as well. But we'll spend a little bit more time on admonish the unruly. Uh, so what is my duty toward fellow Christians? Admonish those who step out of line of the Christian faith, who live in immoral life. I am to call them to task in love to come back to Christ, their walk with Christ. Uh, when he says here, I, I uh, urge you, brethren, um, what he says here uh, is... Uh, uh, it's an interesting word in Greek, it's a para kaleo. Para, kaleo is, para is a preposition, kaleo means to call somebody. I've told you this before, you should be total Greek grammarians at this point. Are you? If you, t- if you take a verb and you wed a preposition to it, what do you do to the word? You intensify it. So he could have said, I call you brethren, kaleo, but he didn't do that. He took the preposition para, uh, which means to come alongside, and he weds it to the word to call. So he says, I, I'm calling you alongside me. So he's like the coach. Uh, and he comes alongside you and says, I'm coming alongside you to give you some commands to tell you how to live the Christian life in light of the Lord's return. So it's a, it's a loving thing. Paul's a great coach. Uh, well, what does he tell us to do? What's the first thing he tells us to do? Admonish the Thank you. One day I'm gonna put it up there in Greek. It's gonna freak you out. <laughs> admonish who? really, So we need to analyze this. What does it mean to admonish? Uh, the word, uh, according to Danker's Greek lexicon, which is the leading Greek lexicon, shows you the etymology, the development of words, their lexical meanings. Uh, this particular word to admonish means to offer counsel somebody uh, and instruction to in- avoid or cease inappropriate conduct. Did you hear me? Front row did. Thank you. Amen. For it. Praise God for you. Did you hear me? Yes. Some Christians drifting and you come alongside him to tell him, that's uh, That's sin. That's admonishment. Um, He says you need to do that uh, in the church. Admonish uh, who? The unruly. That would never happen at church. Uh, Yeah, it's like a part-time job for a pastor. Uh, Admonish the unruly. So we need to talk about this. What kind of Christian are you supposed to deal with? The unruly. Now the the, the Greek word Attactus is the word. Atactus almost sounds like the word attack. It's a military term in the in the Greek language. Uh, and it referred to a soldier who wouldn't do what his commanding officer said. Okay, so how many here are in the military? So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Be proud. If you told a commanding officer, you know, I've thought about it, it's just not in my wheelhouse. I'm not doing that. How would that work for you? What would happen to unit cohesion? You guys aren't talking all of a sudden right you're trained when that commanding officer gives a command it's not a suggestion that's what you execute even if you disagree with it now when i was studying this word this week i, I had a vietnam flashback you know when i was a kid and i remember watching i, I think it was walter cronkite remember him yeah. sorry i'm dating myself but the young people are going walter yeah yeah Walter cronkite you know everybody just trusted his analysis and as the war was winding down, which, you know, they were drafting my friends in front of me. I'm like, this thing better end. Um, as it's winding down, I was watching a newsreel. And I think it was with Walter, Walter Cronkite. Was it a CBS? Back in the day? Yeah. Uh, and he showed a newsreel of, of an of a army unit uh, in the jungle. Uh, and he was showing what was happening as the war was winding down. They, uh, the one uh, lieutenant asked one of the guys to go walk point. Well, I had friends that walked point. Marine, one of my Marine friends was a sniper, but he's also, you know, would be with his unit. He would, he would, you know, he said, "I volunteered for point all the time." Nobody wanted to. Why? You're the first guy shot. You know, put Larry out there. Yeah, draw a fire. <laughs> then we'll know where to shoot. Uh, and so, if so, as the war wound down, as I was watching this this, this thing as a high school student, uh, the, the the lieutenant, they're out in the jungle, and he tells this guy to walk point, and the guy's like, "I ain't doing that." He said, like, what do you mean? You're not? I'm giving you a direct order to walk point. I'm not walking point. So then he went to the next guy. "You Would you walk point? I'm not doing that. He ain't doing it. I ain't doing it. No, they had a hard time getting people to walk point. Why? War's almost over. Who wants to get shot? Not that not all of our soldiers were doing that, but they had problems. So if you have a person, one, in a unit who says to the commanding officer, I'm not doing that today. How's that, How's that for the platoon? So how many people does it take to mess up a platoon? One, one, just one. How many people does it take to mess up a church's unity? One, just one. And they always make it, make it seem like there's a lot of us. Because I know, because they, when they come to me, they always say things like, there are others with me. <laughs> yeah, anyway, that, that type of thing. So what is true in a military setting uh, is true in a church setting. Uh, if somebody is unruly, which means they're not doing what the church is said to do. They do the opposite of that. Uh, that. That destroys the cohesion of the church and brings absolute chaos. So, uh, Paul was one who admonished. Uh, remember when Peter, you know, great as he was, he had a hypocrisy problem. Because when he was with Jews, man, he was, he was mosaic when it came to the food. I cannot eat that. I'm a Jew. You serve him bacon? What's he going to do? Why are you laughing? Like, I ain't touching that. That's against the Mosaic code, see? But he would be with Gentiles, and it's bacon and eggs, and what's he doing? Chowing down. Peter finds out about it, or Paul finds out about it. He's like, this is so hypocritical. Do, do you like hypocritical Christians? I don't. Paul didn't. So Paul, I mean, just read. I mean, Paul does what he preaches here. Uh, Galatians Galatians 2, verse 11, he says, I oppose Peter to his face. But don't you know that was some kind of discussion? I mean, it's not in the scripture, basically, you know, what they talked about. But you could imagine the intensity of it. What are you doing? You can't do that because the gospel of Christ has freed you from foods. You're free. Don't play games. Uh, And I guess Peter got his act together after that. So admonish the unruly. Peter was unruly. There were times when Paul was unruly. Uh, So no no leaders above above admonishment. But admonishment uh, uh, of the unruly is not fun. If anybody tells you, I live for it. It's my spiritual gift. I look for opportunity. They are sick. They need need help. Why is it hard to admonish? I'll go through the list. Well, it makes me too uncomfortable. Uh, Who am I to say anything? Uh, If I do this, I'm going to destroy a friendship. If I do this, there's potential that there's going to be some ugly backlash. Uh, I don't want to appear intolerant, unloving, or holier than thou. It's just not my place to say anything. You do it, Pastor. Huh? Yeah. So, Paul says, what's the command here? It's not a suggestion. Admonish who? The unruly. What's a person, they're unruly? Well, it's a person who doesn't do what they're supposed to do. What the scriptures say you're supposed to do. So, I want to identify three areas where people can get unruly. This isn't exhaustive. It's just what I've seen in 36 years of pastoring. Where they typically get unruly are these three areas. Okay, you with me? Praise God. Okay. Number one, uh, they get area number one, the relational area, because you never see this one coming. You were friends, you went to dinner, you went on vacation together, etc. You thought everything was good and bam, relationship falls apart and you're like, what in the world happened? Uh, usually it's over a minor issue. It's not much becomes a huge issue. Uh, Philippians chapter four, verse one, notice what Paul says about a relational issue. Therefore, my beloved brethren, whom I long to see, my joy, and my crown, so stand firm in the Lord, my beloved, and, uh, yeah, Euodia and Syntyche, uh, I urge Euodia and I urge Sinteki to live in harmony in the Lord. You need to work it out. And that wasn't all that he said, um. Indeed, true comrade, I ask you also to help these women who have shared my struggle in the cause of the gospel, together with Clement also, and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. They're Christians, but boy, those two women aren't acting like it. You ever, <laughs> you ever seen two, two women at church fighting each other? Hey, sorry. Have you ever seen two men? It's ugly. It is absolutely ugly. I could tell you stories all day long of situations. It's a, Paul's like, you and Syntyche. as I finish out this letter, you two ladies need to get it together. Now, they shared in his struggle. They were great Christian women who worked hard at the church, but they had some kind of issue. Now, what I find interesting is he doesn't say what the issue is, right? You got to kind of wonder why. Because I, I looked around the New Testament at other times that Paul did uh, admonishing. And he, like in Galatians 1, when he admonishes the Christians in Galatia for abandoning the gospel, you know? And he, and he says, if you follow a message that's not the gospel I gave you, but even if an angel gave it to you, let him be anathema. He identifies the problem. Here, he didn't say anything. I wonder why. Probably wasn't even worth talking about because it was probably so petty. So this is, this is not from the Bible. This is just Marty analyzing what could potentially be the issue. Okay? You odia. You did not keep a confidence that I gave you. And Sinteki says, well, out of love for you, I just put it on the prayer chain. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, whole church knows. Yeah. (laughs) Sinteki, you believe negative information about me without ever asking me? How could you do that as my friend? Uh, uh, You are so pushy and domineering. Every time we work together on anything at church, I've just had it with you. Uh, Sentechi, your child hurt my child's feelings, and and you had the gall to say it was really no big deal. Serious? I mean, I could go on, couldn't I? Because those are all real things, right? You're getting too quiet. Admonish the unruly. Sometimes it's relational, right? So what happens if it's a relational problem? Uh, Jesus is pretty clear. Matthew 5, 23. If, therefore, you are presenting your offering at the altar, i.e., you're going to church and there remember that your brother has something against you because you sinned, what are you supposed to do? Continue to worship. No, leave your offering there before the altar and go, to your, go your way. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come present your offering. Jesus is saying, do not think if you have wiped out a friendship that you can come to church, sing the songs, pray the prayers, put money in the plate, and everything's cool. No. He said, if you have an issue... And you recognize it right now, like, okay, make this real. If right now you realize, man, I cannot believe what I did to one of my friends. What should you do right now at this point in church? Now, this could be scary. Like half the church gets up and leaves, you know. But, but it's that kind of thing. He's like, it's serious business. So if it's, if it's messing with your life... And messing with the church life, because it always spills over into the church, Jesus says, don't continue to worship thinking your worship, your liturgy is going to cover your sinful behavior. Confess your sin and move on. And if this person, by the way, comes to you to confess their sin as a Christian, it is not up to you to go, well, I need six more months to think about it. (laughs) Oh, I've heard all these things. No, it is, I forgive you. Because according to Ephesians 4.32, we are to forgive as Jesus forgave you. Aren't you glad Jesus didn't look at you when you came to him and said, I need another 30 years to think about it. Yeah, moving on. Now, I want to throw this in just as a side note. Romans 12, Paul says, verse 8, If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. I love this. Because some people you can't be at peace with. I've learned this as a pastor. I mean, one of my friends that was my good buddy, Mark Baker. Mark Baker. Uh, went seminary together, but he he was a pastor for like 12 years when he came to Dallas Seminary when we were young men, but he told me as I became a pastor later, he's like brother, some people you just got to let go (laughs) he was from uh, near Atlanta big football guy Um, yeah, Mark was right, if it's possible what should you strive for? peace, peace but sometimes you can't have peace, that's a whole other sermon series, then what do you do? Well, that's, well. maybe we'll pick that up some other day. You, you pull back. You pull back. I, 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 can't, I can't be near that person. Anyway, moving on. A- area number two where there's problems. Uh, doctrinal. Doctrinal. Jesus does the confrontation here in uh, uh, Revelation chapter 2, Church of Pergamos, verse 4. Jesus himself admonishes the unruly church. But I have a few things against you. You wouldn't want Jesus telling you that. Uh, because some of you holded the teaching of Balaam, who kept the teaching of Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel, to eat things sacrificed to idols, and to commit acts of immorality. Thus, you have also come, uh, uh, some in the same way, who holded the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Nikao uh, in Greek means to conquer, Nike. N- Nikao means to conquer. Uh, Laos Leo, means the people. So people who use their church authority over people to crush them and control them. He says, repent, therefore. And then he's like your father or else I'm coming to you quickly and I will make war against them with the sword of my mouth. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to deal with you. Because this, this church is compromised. So Jesus comes after them for what sin? They had allowed the culture of Pergamos, uh, which was mimicking the sin of Balaam, to color their church. What was that? Sin of Balaam was, you know, how do you get the Israelites with this, this great military track record of defeating their enemies uh, as they're coming into the promised land? How do you overthrow them? So, Balak, the Moabite uh, leader, uh, uh, conscripted Balaam, the, the, the prophet, uh, to tell him what to do. And it's an interesting story. You can read it. But basically, he told them, really, the only way you're going to get Israel to succumb, uh, you know, as a people to implode internally, is to get them to compromise uh, sexually, Just let their boys and their young men marry Moabite young men and women. And sin according to, because Deuteronomy 7 said don't do that. Because when you do that, then those relationships will take them away from worshiping God. And they'll worship uh, Chemosh, their God. uh, And then they'll drag their temple prostitute worship into Israelite worship. They'll wed the two. See, we live in Pergamos today. Where you find a culture in love with all kinds of perverted sexuality... And they're dragging it into churches and calling it progressive. No, it's digressive. And Jesus says, you need to repent of that. You can't bring that into church. That's what they did in Pergamos. They brought the sexual deviancy of the culture into church and called it worship. And so Jesus takes them to task. You think that was comfortable for him? No. But he knew that church couldn't proceed to do great things as long as it was compromised. So the other area where there's great angst is when it comes to doctrine. They abound in sound doctrine because God said, marriage is between a man and a woman, and that's it. What did they say? Well, I can have other partners because it's temple prostitution and it's worship. No, it's not. No, that, that's sin. And so that's just one kind of doctrinal deviation. There's other kinds of doctrinal deviations that people bring into church. They want you to agree with those doctrines that they're not from Scripture. And so Paul says, if it's, it's, if it's apart from Scripture, then you lovingly confront. That's unruly. Third area, legal area where you find unruly people. Uh, 1 Corinthians 6. What a messed up church. I mean, they, they, you name it, they did it. Uh, relationally compromised. Uh, doctrinally compromised. Uh, and it was a legal mess. They lived to take each other to court. Notice what Paul says to them in chapter 6, verse 1. Does any one of you, when he has a case against his neighbor... Dare to go to law before the unrighteous and not before the saints? Translated, what in the world are you doing dragging your Christian brothers and sisters to court? What are you doing? Now, this is not to say you can't take a Christian to court over some kind of outright criminal activity. Right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, if you found out I'm driving a Porsche and I'm embezzling money of the church, you're not going to go, hallelujah, praise God, he's so creative. (laughs) Right? You're going, Huh? No, you know, uh, there are going to be a whole long line outside my office confronting me, right? Right. And so, you know, uh, but for the majority of the things that destroy unity of the church, Paul says, you should be handling these. Don't take them to a Gentile court. Verse 2. Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And and, And if the world is judged by you, are you not competent to constitute the smallest law courts? I mean, think about the argument here. He's telling you as a Christian, all of us, if you're a Christian, one day... The angelic class, the demonic class, with all the stuff that they've done behind the scenes, who's judging them? You. The saints will judge them. That's unbelievable. And he says, if you're going to judge at that level in that court of law in an eternal sphere, you can't handle Euodia and Syntechi. their little personality problem. You can't handle that. He says in verse 4, uh, if then you have law courts dealing with the matters of this life, do you appoint them as judges who are of no account in the church? Translated, do you bring judges for Fairfax County into the church to handle church issues? Do we? Do we need to? No. Why? Well, we have the Word of God. So what the Word of God says. And we call people to obey the Word of God. And you follow your leadership, and you obey the Word of God, and it creates peace and unity, and relational issues are solved, and great things happen. The last thing you want to do is like, i got an attorney. Uh, verse 5, he says, uh, I say this to your shame, it is so that there is a, not one among you, wise, one wise man among you who will be able to decide between the brethren, but brother goes to law against brother, and that before unbelievers. Actually then, it is already a defeat for you that you have lawsuits with one another. Why not rather be wronged, he says? Why not rather be defrauded? This is this is This is amazing. This is amazing. Um, he, he's saying, you know, in, in any situation, and I'm saying something that's not criminal in nature, but in any situation, he says, Paul says, like, be willing to be defrauded. Lose some money over it. When I was a young pastor, I went to the head of our denomination, and I asked him in California, I said, uh, I, need an, I need a CPA. You know, I've been in Arizona. I don't know CPAs in California. Can you point me point me to a good Christian CPA? So he did. So the guy worked on my taxes and did them for a number of years, and I was all good and happy. One day, I switched and got another CPA. Uh, who was aligned with my church at the, as we grew. And so, you know, first CPA, second CPA, and things were great. One day I went to the mailbox. I always cringe now when I go to the mailbox. Because I opened the mailbox that day and there's a letter in there from the IRS. That's not a good feeling. They're not there to go, we really love you as an American. You know? <laughs> so I opened, the, I opened the box up and I'm like, oh, IRS, what do they want? So I opened the letter up and it, <laughs> and it said, uh, because of miscalculations in your tax records over the last you know, seven or eight years, you owe X amount of dollars. It was thousands of dollars. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. And so, uh, you know, <laughs> what would you do if you were me? Well, I had a moment at the mailbox. <laughs> and then I made a phone call. And I tracked down that CPA. I-, I remember when I caught him. He was hunting in, like, Wyoming. I called him on the phone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah how? What? Who are you? Uh, yeah, oh, yeah, Marty, yeah. Hey, uh... You messed up on my taxes. I got this huge bill from IRS. Like, uh, what's up with that? That's not my problem, that's your problem. You need to pay it, click. I was not happy. I, I'm carnal too, aren't you? I mean, yeah. And I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. So then, so then I called the other CPA who followed him and I called him and I said, here's the problem. I got this huge bill and here's what happened. And, and he said, well, I was merely following the calculations of the first CPA. Where do you guys go to school? And he said, I tell you what, I will pay, I will pay my part of this because I I absolutely messed up. I should have never done that. So he paid. The other guy did not pay. I was thinking to myself, I need to take the first guy to court. And then I'm thinking to myself, hmm, that's when the scripture comes in and you're like, serious? No, I can't do that. Because what did Paul say? Be willing to be what? Defrauded. I took a hit. I took a hit, a financial hit. And I just moved on. I paid what I had to pay and everything was good. And it's not a simple thing to do. I, I really struggle with it, but I did it. You might be in the same situation. Just be willing to be defrauded because what, what's the deal? On judgment day, the Lord will settle accounts. Amen. So I'm just putting in another court because I know the Lord. Thank you. She's preaching my sermon. It, that, <laughs> she's like, the Lord's got me. That's right. He's got me. So, so here's the situation. Are you dealing with a situation right now that you, have, you got an attorney over that you shouldn't have? Uh, You're dragging somebody into court when you shouldn't, another Christian. Money's at stake, whatever. I think you know what you need to do now. It's not the easy thing. It's the high road, not the low road. High road is I walk away. I I go and I I work things out between me and that other Christian. And I I just move on. And if it costs me money, it costs me money. But in the sight of eternity, I let Jesus, Jesus decide. Moving on. Second imperative. Uh, And we urge you, brethren, to admonish you and really encourage the faint-hearted. The word faint-hearted in Greek means someone with a small soul. I don't know how you measure souls, but that is is what the word means. It means somebody, a small soul. Now, uh, the King James Version reads, uh, encourage the feeble-minded. Translated, somebody that's just not that swift intellectually. That is not what the word means uh, lexically. Um, The word, do you know somebody who is... well, people are wired differently, are they not? Some can, they're very strong personalities, very powerful, can handle conflict. Others, fold like a lawn chair. Do you know what I'm saying? I mean, there's two kinds of Christians like that, you know? And uh, you name it, you just throw it at me, I can handle it. Others, like, oh my, oh, so this is terrible. They're weaker. So what does he say towards somebody who's more fragile emotionally? And I know if you're stronger emotionally, you're thinking, what is their problem? Suck it up, get your act together. That is... <laughs> That is not what he's telling you to do. He's telling you, encourage them. Oh, what's that mean? See, you don't even know? (laughs) Uh, Well, that means if if, if they're going through something that has totally caused their lawn chair to implode, you you need to come alongside them and tell them, you know, hey, I I am here. I am here to listen to you, to love on you, to talk to you, give you wisdom, give you direction, uh, be there for you. You know, encourage them. Encourage them. See, they're going to need you when they get that negative diagnosis from the doctor. I've been with people before when I knew they went in for tests and they went into the doctor and sometimes they'll say, could you be with me? Sure. Sometimes that's a widow. Sometimes it's a widower. Don't want to be alone. Go with them. That's encouraging the the faint hearted. Uh, They're going to need you when uh, their husband leaves them and the children for for another woman. They're, They're going to need you instead of just going, that is so bad. What happened to you? No, no, they're going to need you to show up at their house. Uh, they're going to need you when their company downsizes and they're part of the downsizing. They're going to need you. I mean, we, the list is long, fainthearted. When, when they implode, when they're struggling, that's when you come alongside them and you encourage them. You got anybody right now in your life that you know they're fainthearted, they're discouraged. You probably have their nine on your mind, their name right now. What should you do when you leave this church service? Encourage them. Phone call, email, card, I drop by, take them to dinner. Take them their, their their favorite coffee drink, whatever. Let them know you're there and you love them. Uh, third command, and we urge you, brethren, to help the weak. Help the weak. Uh, on techo is the word here to be weak, and it means to be bodily weak, like you have some kind of sickness or malady, bodily weak, or morally weak. It can have two connotations. Make the application, help those who are physically weak. Uh, one of our young ladies uh, years ago was struggling with uh, breast cancer, and uh, she, she was dying. It took about a year. It was sad to watch. Uh, and uh, when she was near the end, uh, I went to go see her again, and I showed up at her house. They had a hosp- hospital bed, went over there to see her uh, and pray with her. Uh, and uh, when I got there, the whole house was full of Christians from this church who were with her for months and months and months shifts. Being, she's not alone. She's got a husband and, and a little boy, but, but these Christians were with her all the time. Um, and so I went in and I prayed for her. Uh, and as I was getting ready to leave, uh, the hospice nurse walked up to me. I don't know her. She walked up to me and she said, you're the pastor, right? Uh-huh. She said, I just want to let you know, I have never seen anything like this in my entire life as a hospice nurse. She goes, well, like, what have you seen? She said, the love and loyalty of these these people is just unbelievable. You're fulfilling what Paul talks about. I I watch you guys in action. That's what he says. Uh, Help those who are weak. And I've also watched you when somebody's morally weak. Because sometimes if you're in in an addiction, be what it may, pornography, uh, some kind of sexual deviancy, uh, drugs, uh, drinking, whatever your addiction is, I've watched you come alongside them and instead of going, whoa, I I told one guy who had uh, sexual perversion issues. Uh, He told me, man, if anybody finds out about this, no one's going to be my friend. I said, oh, no, you don't understand. When you come alongside these other brothers and tell them, this is what I struggle with, you're going to have a whole bunch of comrades around you. And that's what you need. The devil's telling you you're going to be alone. They're not going to run away from you. They're going to run toward you. See, that's what we see at this church. And I commend you. Fourth command, we are Jew brethren. (laughs) I wish you would have left this one out. Um. don't you read your Bible like that? Like serious. Be patient with just the people that you like. Yeah. Be patient with all men. So what does it mean to be patient? Barbara Johnson says, patience is the ability to idle your motor when you feel like tripping the gears. (laughs) Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, So you got to stop and ask yourself, are you truly, the word means to be tranquil in tough situations, the Greek word. Are you? Where are you quiet? Are you truly patient? I drip with patience. Serious? Okay. So if you think you're dripping with patience, uh, how are you on 395? Um, when you're on 395 and someone pulls in front of you and then slows down, how are you? what's he breaking for? What? There's no one in front of him. You're the wild monkey in the car. I've done it many times. Um, uh, then you see the BCC sticker. You're like, yeah, anyway, Uh, I've had that happen before too. Um, how about, are you patient when someone is standing and talking to the checker and you're standing there with all your groceries and you're like, could you wrap it up? Um, How about, are you patient when your strong-willed child does the same thing you just disciplined him for at nine and he does the same thing at 9.15? (laughs) You patient? Um, How about, this happened to me this week. Are you patient when you go through multiple phone menus to get to the person that you need to talk to, you are, I haven't finished saying what I was gonna say, (laughs) and you're placed on hold, and then they nuke the phone call. You come back like Moses. Yeah. I'm just saying, be patient with all people. So if you don't know what to pray about today when you leave this service, I don't even know how to help you. So you walk out the door, you say, sit in your car. Lord, help me leave the parking lot like a patient Christian. right. And the fifth and sixth commands are most interesting. See to it that no one repays another with evil for evil. How should you live? Always seek after that which is good for one another and for all men, Christian and non-Christian. No eye for eye. No tooth for tooth. No. There is absolutely no room in the Christian life for retaliation. Did you hear me? There is absolutely no room in your Christian life for retaliation. Our culture has tons of it. Let it not be you or me. No one should repay evil. Well, she did this to me. I'm going to do that to her. You know how that goes? Or he, he did this to me when I was, you know, I was up for my you know, third look at a promotion, and this guy stepped in and totally nuked it. I'll get him. That, that type of thing. As a Christian, you should walk away. You should walk away. Always seek after that which is what? Good for one another. So you should be always looking at, how can I turn, turn the other cheek in this situation? Uh, how can I bless instead of curse? Uh, how can I actually in this situation do good to them? Because when you do good to them, when they've done evil to you, Wow, it does a number on them. It gets their attention. And that's what a Christian is supposed to do. There's a a man named Peter Miller. He was a Baptist pastor during the American Revolution. His best friend, a guy named General George Washington. Miller lived in uh, Ephrata, Pennsylvania. Uh, There was another guy that lived in Ephrata, Pennsylvania named Michael Whitman. Michael Whitman was not a nice man. And he did everything in his power to make the life of of Pastor Peter Miller miserable. He was a nasty man. One day, Whitman was arrested for treason, sentenced to death. Um, Miller set out to Philadelphia to plead for the life of this man. He walked 70 miles to talk to George Washington about his friend who was or his enemy that was sentenced to death. Uh, he asked him to spare his life. General Washington said, no, no, Peter. Uh, I can't grant you the life of your friend. He exclaimed, my friend? This is my enemy. Washington then said, what are you talking about? You've walked 70 miles to save the life of an enemy? He says, that puts a matter in a different light. I will now grant your pardon. And he pardoned him they then walked back to their hometown 70 miles as friends. That's what we're supposed to be doing. May you do that. Let's pray. God, thank you for clarity from the imperatives of Scripture, how to live the Christian life. They are not easy to do, and they're hard to keep going on an ongoing basis if that's the command. May we apply it in a profound, radical way this day when we leave this building to your glory in Christ's name. Amen.